I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. That was a tough loss against Atlanta the other day. We see them again today. I'm joined by Mr. Bobby Manning, also part of Celtics Blog, and now one of the newbie writers for Boston Sports Journal. What's going on, Bobby? Hey, Adam. Great to be here. I know I started the show a couple years ago. You took it over since. I think you're doing a fantastic job. Uh, the Kendrick Perkins episode was awesome. I mean, that was that was just great stuff between you guys. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, man, you're too kind. You're too kind. I appreciate you, though. Thank you very much. It's uh, always good to have somebody that's ran this show be back on the show. And uh, I'm hopefully just keeping going what you started, man. So um, you were in the you were in the stadium. You were at the game. You were watching things probably a little bit more closely than what the rest of us were. How bad did it look closer? Does it look bad? It, it's it's bad, yeah. And so I tr- you try to stay somewhere between freaking out, which is what we saw a lot of over the weekend after the Wizards and Pistons, and keeping some of the context in consideration. No Tice, no Kemba, and no. Um, who's the third star are smart for a couple weeks now. So all that stuff matters. You're missing three starters. You're going to have a tough time beating anybody in this league. But I also connected to stuff we've seen all year defensively. And I was stunned to see that the Celtics were sixth in the league in points per game coming into this one. So that tells me, yeah, we visually see that this defense isn't good right now. They gave up 21 to 25 in the paint against Atlanta last night. Uh, but also, it's kind of a league-wide trend that most teams right now are struggling defensively. So I, I sit somewhere in between that. But when I see it close up, I definitely don't hear as much communication on the defensive end on the Celtic side of things, at least compared to Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta was screaming and yelling down on the court the whole time. It's so cool how you can hear these things in the empty stadium. Uh, but I, I think there's probably communication issues, uh, switching those kind of things is stuff Tristan Thompson talked about after the game. Forwards and guards coming on to Clint Capella in particular on the roll there, uh, stepping up and stopping them inside. And on-ball defense, I thought Jalen Brown got smoked by Trey Young. And is that Brown's fault? Is that Stevens' fault for not starting a guard? We all didn't like Jeff Teague playing in crunch time. So it's like when you're missing all these bodies, when you have so few reliable combinations, it is truly a thing of where does this go? And now we've heard Danny Ainge say a couple times this week, this team just isn't good enough. It's not Brad's fault. Yeah, it's. I don't blame Brad. Uh, I blame the personnel. And I, I don't think it's anything to do with lack of talent. It's definitely more to me lack of experience. Like there's a bunch of guys there that have played under 100 NBA games. Um, some of the guys on coming off that bench are on there like 21st, 22nd, 23rd game. Rob, Rob Williams hasn't played nearly enough minutes, but a lot of that's been due to injury. And then you you bring up a good point about the defense and league wide it's been a big a big slip in terms of defensive intensity because the season's shorter guys are taking possessions off. What I have noticed is and I had somebody on from Peachtree Hoops before the game just yep. what we could get and he was telling me that the Atlanta had the second worst fourth quarter defense in the league. Boston Boston were nineteenth in fourth quarter defense, so it was always going to be a shootout if it was close to the wire at the end of the game. My biggest concern more was like you said, Jeff Teague getting minutes. That was, I feel like Brad's hand was forced there, right? No Kemba, no Smart, Pritchard on five fouls. Who else can you turn to to be a ball handler other than Jeff Teague? That's why he was bought in. Sucks, but it is the way it is. So when you look at the rotations, I completely understand, but I don't like the way that he kind of switched out guards and switched out wings on giving Trey Young different opportunities to smoke by guys like you say he smoked Jalen Brown there was times where he was um he smoked Tristan Thompson on some switches too uh, the one thing I like about Thompson is he can switch and play up yeah. on the perimeter more than what what Cantor could when we had Cantor but he's also not he's very susceptible to a quick guard blow him by him so I don't understand why they're putting him in switch systems rather than just asking him to play drop yeah, and when Teague was in there, they both did not have a fun time handling that young and Capella pick and roll. And that was brutally effective for the Hawks. I think Capella started 9 of 11, just walking to the rim. John Collins was able to cut back line. Atlanta played a great offensive game when it came to movement, uh, when it came to spacing, certainly. They got some great shooters there. 
that's a tough offense to handle. Now, you were right about the fourth quarter defense thing. We saw that, too. Uh, they almost collapsed. John Collins followed fouled Tatum and let the Celtics within four. But by that point, it was too late after Tatum came in and kind of saved the game. And I, I do look to that stretch between the eight-minute mark and I think it was the four-minute mark when Teague came out. They got torched defensively in the pick and roll, as you pointed out. And offensively, the ball was in Teague's hands a little too much. And so I see a discrepancy between the first half where Steven says, all right, we're going to go with four wings to start this game. Brown and Tatum are going to be the guards. You got Ojale and Green on the wings. We're going to switch everything pretty much against this team and try to you know, hold down defensively. And then in the second half, it's, oh, let's try Teague a little bit here. We, we need a guard on the ball. We need a guy who can you know, play one-on-one against Young, which certainly Teague couldn't. So that didn't work in the third. And then they went back to it in the fourth, and it was even worse. And then that doesn't work, and they switched to Hacker Capella. And that didn't work because the Celtics couldn't get any offense going. So it's like what we're seeing right now, fair or not for Stevens, is like three or four different game plans within a game. And it just changes rapidly. Uh, You know, 10 players end up in the rotation by the end of the night. And there's no ability for things to... Uh, build a rhythm you know like everything's just four or five minutes at a time and then they're on to the next thing so I am I am the furthest from fire Stevens I mean I've been defending Brad Stevens all season long but last night was the first time I looked and said you know you're not giving anything a chance here to develop to grow a little bit and I trust his instinct if something's not working I I sense he's going to get away from it and once Teague didn't work there was nowhere else to go after that Um, but things change so much and this team's so inconsistent you got to ask the question, is it inconsistent because they're bouncing around to so many different things? I mean, in 28 games, they've had 16 different starting lineups. That's one of the biggest issues, though, right? Like the lack of continuity. And you're just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. I get it. Everybody says, and I, I've been a big um, defender of Stevens myself. And I know everybody's like, Stevens experiments. We're coming up to the All-Star break. He's just trying to see what lineups work. And then he'll cement his rotations after the All-Star break. I'm not so sure that's going to be the case this year. There's just so many moving parts with the way the season is, with COVID, with more injuries happening, that we're going to see these funky lineups, I think, until at least a few weeks away from the playoffs. And that concerns me. One thing that I really picked up on, though, was Stevens was talking about Jeff Teague's defense on um, Trey Young, saying Jeff Teague played Trey Young as, as well as anybody. That wasn't something I picked up on. I saw Trey. Um, Jeff Teague struggling to contain Trey Young. So do you think Stevens is protecting Trey? Um, sorry, um, Jeff, because he knows everything that's going on, that, like in the media and the fans don't like him. Or do you think that he's kind of got these rose-tinted glasses because Jeff Teague was a guy he wanted from when he first entered the <laughs> I mean, it feels like if he's gone back to him again and again. He started him at various points throughout the season, and it, it's not working when we look back at past games, and it wasn't working in the third when you look back from the fourth quarter. So there's just evidence building game in and game out that he's not an NBA-capable player anymore. I don't know if... You know, he's gotten banged up much over the years, or he's a little too old, or he just doesn't fit here. Something's just not working with him. He had that great first game against Milwaukee. Uh, He got to the free throw line in other games well, I thought. He handles the ball well, and there's been spurts of good on-ball defense. So I do see some situations in the past where he was able to get some steals and breakouts and stuff like that. It maybe would have worked, but I didn't feel like Peyton Pritchard did, outside of fouling a little too much, too bad of a job on... Uh, Young, I know, I think the final number was like 0 for 1 on the ball when Pritchard was guarding Young. There was obviously a ton of switches and pick and roll and stuff that took him off the final shot there. Uh, So I'd have to go back and look at like, you know, was he in position when switches and pick and roll was happening and all that stuff. But with eight minutes to go and he picks up that fifth foul, I would have just seen how long Pritchard could last there and then go to Teague if you need to. And isn't Stevens a guy who, if a a player picks up two fouls, would be willing to stay with them a little bit? I know that's a different situation, but it's kind of the same line of thinking to me. Uh, To answer your question, is he protecting Teague? (sighs) I don't don't think he't think a guy you need to protect. Isn't isn't he going to be the guy to go when they need a roster spot? I mean, he's an extra guard. Yeah, he's an extra guard. He was just kind of filling the gap of Kemba when he was out for the month. Like, he's not part of this team long-term. And that's what frustrates me, too, because you can't even look at a game like yesterday's and say, oh, we're building towards something there with those minutes. Like, he's going to be gone by the end of the year. That's the worst part, right? Like, 
you look at the way Peyton Pritchard played and to be fair, Atlanta really hunted Pritchard. When Pritchard was on the floor, they were looking to get the mismatch. They were looking to make sure that switch happened defensively and then feed the bigger guy to kind of just bully Pritchard a little bit. And it's a great learning thing. So when Pritchard struggles as a fan base and as like people that analyze, we can all live with that because we're like, okay, so this is a learning moment for Pritchard. He needs to go through yeah. these struggles. Then you have Teague and he's just struggling because, as you say, he might be old. Maybe he doesn't fit. But having those minutes in crunch time, that to me, I can't blame Brad for that because where else could he have gone? Who else could he have relied on to get those minutes? I personally agree with you. Maybe he should have kept Pritchard in longer or bought Pritchard in once the game was a bit closer and said to Pritchard, look, if you foul out, it's fine. But just try and affect the game as much as you can while you're on the floor. And then if you need to go back to Pritchard, go back to Pritchard. But it was tough. It was a really tough watch, especially down the stretch. You know what I would have done is started Tremont Waters in this one. And if he hadn't started all year, if he hadn't gotten any minutes at all this season, I know that would have just been us on Twitter and online hyping up Tremont Waters a little too much. But he has. I mean, he played a ton against De'Aaron Fox in that Sacramento game. There was another game where he started this season. So he has gotten some trust on the defensive end of the floor to go up against tougher guard assignments. So I actually thought that might have been the outside-the-box thinking. Now, you can't just throw Waters in in the fourth quarter with no minutes at all before that. At least Teague had had some rhythm there in the third. Uh, but I thought that was a missed opportunity to get a younger guy some minutes and maybe work towards something there. Because ultimately, what are they doing right now as a team? I mean, they're clearly not trying to win at all costs. You know, they're not going to push Tatum toward 40 minutes. They're not going to push Kemba back to backs. So that's not the objective here. And, you know, Tristan Thompson said after the game, we're, we're playing for something bigger here. We're going for a championship. So if that's the case... I, I just don't get the Teague minutes. Like that feels like, oh, he's ready to do this now. I trust him in this position and we're going for the win. And Stevens has said that too. They need wins right now. So like they can't sit Tatum in certain games. But if they're just trying to sustain and build something here and get guys the rest they need and try to survive these seven games and 10 night stretches, you know, why not go with a Waters here and a spot start? Like, I don't think Waters is the point guard of the future here, but if you can get him some minutes against Trey Young when they're struggling defensively, uh, when they don't have bodies at the point guard position, I think that pays way more dividends than Teague's going to. Yeah, and you see Atlanta doing a similar thing with Skylar Mays, right? Like there's yeah. no Rondo for them, so they, they operate and test out what Skylar Mays is bringing. He's a two-way guy. And I'm genuinely same train of thought as you. I expected to see Skylar May's minutes kind of mimicked by Tremont Waters to see where Tremont is as a second-year guy in a two-way contract versus where Skylar Mays would be as a first-year guy in a two-way contract. And that would have made sense. And then if you need to bring Jeff Teague in during the fourth, then now he, he's got a bit more to prove, right? Like the two-way miniature guard came off the bench before you. Like how low on the rotation do you have to be that you're the last guy off that bench other than Taco because they weren't winning or losing? So um. I completely agree. I just I just don't understand where Christian Thompson's comments can come from about we're trying to win a championship, where at the moment you're struggling to beat some of the worst teams in the league. Defensively, yeah. offensively, it's just bad. I thought that was such a bad look from him. And I've certainly been a little disappointed by what he's brought to the team, not just from an encore perspective, but that line of thinking that, oh, we can just coast, you know, we're championship uh competitor because we've been in the east conference finals it's it's not i i get where he brings that from he brings that from 2016 through 2018 when they were in the finals every year they knew they were going to be there and they could coast a little bit that's not the situation they're in in boston at all and you can't just translate that because you're tristan thompson now if tristan was lebron james here on the celtics i'd accept that but we all know what the force was in Cleveland that had them as a shoe in in the finals every year. It's going to be a different kind of battle to get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at this young stage of their career to the finals. And they know that. I don't know how Tristan Thompson doesn't know that. And so he's calling out the Hawks, the Pistons, the Kings as teams that are playing, uh, you know, extra hard in these games because they're trying to build something. Well, the Celtics are trying to build something too. They might be further along in the process, but they're nowhere close from getting to the next step that they want to right now. I mean, are they further along in the process? They've got their two stars. We <laughs> yeah. know that. 
right? But yeah. outside of the two, outside of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, how much further down the line are they? I mean, if you look at Atlanta, they've got uh, Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter was having a great year before he went down with injury. Clint Capella looks great. Um, Cam Reddish is slowly figuring stuff out. Like so, how much further are they really than what Atlanta are? And then you know, <laughs> I check can, the standings. You know um, what I mean? I can accept two games. <laughs> I can accept it with Detroit. Detroit are an absolute dumpster fire right now. Washington, they've still got pieces, but I can accept being better than Washington. But when you're classing Atlanta, who have better veteran presence than what Boston do, you've got Gallo coming off the bench, Rondo coming off the bench, Bogdanovich before he went down with injury was coming off that bench. I, I kind of see that as Tristan Thompson deflecting, but at the same time, you're kind of saying to your locker room that it's okay that we're not playing at full full level right now. And I would have much rather him said, look, we're missing three guys that are generally starters for this team. Um, we went deeper into the bench than what we've usually had to do. We're still figuring out how deep our rotations can be. That's something I could accept. I can get on board with that, and I can live with that explanation. Telling me we're building for something further down the line, like so are Atlanta. The only difference is Atlanta probably played harder because Nate McMillan was on the sideline this time. And if you believe all the discourse around Lloyd Pierce, maybe they were playing hard because they like Nate McMillan as their head coach. You know, we can start narratives any way you want. But I just I really didn't like that train of thinking from Tristan Thompson. Yeah, and credit to McMillan. I like you pointing that out. The Hawks are a better defensive team this year, so they're taking steps further in that direction too. And it wouldn't be stunning at all to see Atlanta take this series. And they are missing Bogdanovich. They're missing Rondo, as you mentioned. They're missing a Hunter. So like the, both these teams are missing key pieces. So they're effectively on the same level. You can kind of compare the guys that are out and in, who's more important. But this effectively is a fair fight coming in between these teams. And since the Celtics have Tatum and Brown, they should still be in an advantageous position here. Uh, so uh, Thompson didn't even need to say that, right, though? Because we've been watching the way he's played this year, and it has the demeanor of a guy who's, oh, we're, we're, I'm going to get to the playoffs and bring my best there. And with him being a starter, with him being the crux of their defense, if he's starting at that center spot, I think that's a big reason that they've struggled so much defensively is that he's not – giving it playoff level intensity on that end of the floor. Now, again, you, you look around the league and not too many teams are, but if we're just focusing on the Celtics and what they need right now, they need Thompson to be his former self defensively. We're seeing, you know, what do you have 14 and eight last night? Offensively, he's been himself in recent weeks since that West coast road trip, but defensively he still isn't switching, defending the pick and roll and certainly not defending the rim at the rate that they need. I mean, the way I'm looking at it at the moment, like, honestly, um, a little bit of a hot take. But at this moment in time, I feel like the team would have been better with Ennis Cantor than what they are with Tristan Thompson. And that's, I know that everybody doesn't like Cantor's defense. I think he was probably a bit of a better defender than what everyone gave him credit for. I get it. He can get cooked on the perimeter, but so is Thompson right now. Cantor's hands are a lot better. He can catch passes a lot more. And one of the things that I've pointed out recently on this show and I think someone else pointed it out to me as well, was that at least Cantor converts his offensive rebounds, right? Like, there's one thing to grab boards. There's another thing to do something with them once you've kept that second possession alive. Grab boards, either distribute it back out or score. Tristan Thompson's grabbing boards and then just throwing up these ridiculous hook shots that have no prayer of going in. And yeah. that's where it's frustrating to me the most. Or when um, he gets a pocket pass and he just doesn't get down low enough to catch it. I think he's also a guy that we could see not make the end of the season with this team if they start to make moves. Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned the offensive rebounding putbacks. That was something I looked into last night because it, they're fourth in the league in offensive rebounding, and you see that. They're all over the boards. And it's, it's a great thing about this team, even against some of the best rebounding teams in the league like the Clippers. They've made their mark on that end of the game. But you're fourth in offensive rebounding. And off that, you're 19th in effective field goal percentage on those plays, which says you're not getting it out to three-point shooters, which we know Thompson isn't doing in those spots, and you're not converting in the middle. And he, of course, is the guy getting a lot of those. So we know Williams is a great offensive rebounder in those spots, and he's been able to do more with those possessions than Thompson has right now. This brings us back to that Rob Williams thing that everyone is going to do after every game, push him further, play him more. He's the rim protector. He's rebounding anyway. All these things we're seeing, and we saw it again last night. 
I get the balance though that Stevens is trying to trying to strike there between uh, throwing Thompson down all the way further on the bench when he's a veteran and you know someone that you want impacting this team come playoff time versus propping up a rookie who might have more issues prop out over 36 minutes compared to 15 to 20. You know, you can't always just use that per 36 or per 100 with Rob because, you know, there'll be other challenges he runs into instead of just multiplying those numbers over those stretches. And we see it with turnovers, uh, with, you know, dropping rebounds. It's not a great free throw shooter. Some of that stuff that Stevens is probably concerned about. But right now they need activity. They need movement. They need room protection. And, you don't lose rebounding with Rob out there, at least statistically, what we're looking at right now. So Thompson, yes, is this a guy they're going to move on from with the second year on his contract considered, uh, with the log jam at center that's forced Stevens to go double big? It wouldn't be stunning. Now, is it him or is it Daniel Tice, who's an expiring contract right now, who's probably going to get paid? That's another question you have to ask. But right now, Tice is just a better center than Thompson. So... I would move on from Thompson at this point if the right deal came along. And it stinks because you're not going to get the best of him until the playoffs, as we just talked about. But right now, this team's playing so bad, they're going to be fighting to get into the playoffs. So like they they need to turn up the intensity right now. They're not coasting along. If they were 16 and 12, I'd understand that thinking a little more. But they're 14 and 14. The biggest question is Thompson came into this team and in his first press conference spoke about accountability about making sure everybody stays accountable. We're going to hold each other to a very specific level of intensity and professionalism. And then he's the one out there that's not showing that intensity. Like It just feels very uh, condescending in a way as like somebody that he has watched that press conference and then watched the way he plays. Yeah, I get your building for the playoffs, but right now, as you say, you need to get to the playoffs at this moment in time. I mean, are you looking for the Celtics to go into a playing tournament? Because that is an abject failure of a regular season at that point, right? Yeah, and then, <laughs> that's where this is going. Yeah, it's crazy. And then you get this ISO movement between Brown and Tatum. And I tweeted this out earlier today saying that for me, when I've rewatched that film, it looks more like that Brown and Tatum don't trust the other guys around them to make shots than it does a Brad Stevens play Neesmith. call. Yeah, hey, you looking at Aaron Eastmith there? <laughs> well, there, was, there was a play. I think it was like 40 seconds into um, it was early. Um, Neesmith was in the game, so it kind of been super early. But Tatum gets the ball on the wing, posts up, looks Neesmith dead in the eye. Neesmith's wide open above the three, and then Tatum turns around and fades away. Hits the shot, but that's not the point, right? You give up a great shot to take an okay shot. That's still bad offense. Yeah. And, uh, so there's definitely a lack of trust between the two the two stars and everybody else. And until they figure that out, for me, it's never going to be comfortable watching. Yeah, and they were peppering those guys early. You see Tatum and Brown get into these lanes and swing these awesome hook passes around the centers and get to where they need to in terms of being creators. And they have assists stolen out of them by Semi Ojale's early inconsistent shooting in the game. And Aaron Smith got a great look to start this one, and the release looked so bad and just bricked it off the back of the rim. Then you get to the point you just mentioned where later in the game he sees that guy and it's it's an open look, but is it a reliable look? My, my turnaround fade right here might be a better look for the team because we know he can make it. I see that 100%. And is that another reason that you, know, you go to Pritchard or Teague down the line and keep the ball popping and moving in those spots? I think the issue, and I think our uh, editor Bill Sai brought this up, comparing this team to 2016's team, is that you're relying on your role guys to effectively be spot-up shooters. Neesmith, in particular, coming into this team, he's talked about, I used to get looks off movement in college, now I'm just catching fire. Uh, Semi Ojale has become the same way. If you watch his college tape, he was not a, just a catch-and-shoot corner three guy. He was on the ball a little bit, able to make plays in action, get downhill of the rim, cut, all that stuff. He doesn't do that anymore. I. Uh, Edwards, you know, he's a on-ball point guard in Purdue, and now he's on this team just catching and shooting. Uh, so they don't have chances to get these role guys rhythms, not from a minutes perspective, but also from an involvement standpoint. Like, you know, let's think back to that 2016 team and some of the role guys that were on there, whether it be uh, Jared Sollinger, Kelly Olynyk, certainly, who was on, empowered on the ball a little bit. Uh, Evan Turner, who was able to get on and off the ball, make plays, that, those kind of things. 
I'm not saying Carson Edwards and Semi Ojale and Aaron Neesmith are those kind of players who are capable of that much usage. But I think you're inherently putting players in a position to be inconsistent if they're getting 15 minutes a night, three three-pointers a night, and those are your do-or-die plays, a couple pull-up shots that you're realistically only 33 to 36% from anyway. So this is what you get. Tatum and Brown, iso ball, a couple guys standing around on the perimeter. You know, you don't have post-ups in this offense. You don't have a ton of cutting and movement in this offense. So it's stagnant. And, you know, I think in the second half, there were, or the third quarter, there were the first eight minutes, you had about five minutes of drought. So like five of the first minutes of the eight quarter of the third quarter, they got absolutely nothing on the offensive end of the floor. So, I mean, we don't like the defense. We don't like the offense. There's not much to like about this team right now. I mean, that's one of the biggest problems though, right? Like the, it feels like the role players are being set up to fail because yep. you're saying like, I understand that in the NBA, it's all about staying ready and being able to stay hot even when you haven't touched the ball. But if you're only taking three shots a game and you're expected to hit two of those threes each, so you're asking Ojale to hit two or three threes, um, Neesmith to hit two or three threes, Carson Edwards to do the same thing. Preyton Pritchard is a little bit different. I feel like he has a bit more trust among um, the hierarchy there. but how can you physically expect these guys to just be able to do that and not be able to put the ball on the floor or to make plays for themselves? Like they feel restricted. So why? And then they're looking off. You know, you'll see Neesmith Smith catch the ball and he'll have a pass to Tatum or Brown, and he'll look off them because he needs to get his shot up. And it's becoming a very much individualized style of basketball. And this is for me. I've got kind of fears that this is going to be an implosion because there's just something there that nobody trusts each other and there's very little communication so something somewhere's got to change you need to bring in another piece that's gonna be a great locker room presence and gel these guys together yeah and how far away is that move like it's february 18th the deadline's on march 25th they desperately need a move now danny ainge we know doesn't want to make a move from a position of desperation where they have to overpay through the nose to get this done and what's available frankly we've talked about harrison barnes he's not available the kings are too good right now we've talked about uh, the magic situation even they probably are still saying this is a little bit too early to make a move like this unless it's just a no-brainer so they're stuck with this team and how long does this slide how long can it slide until the point where they need to make some sort of change and i'll tell you adam i'm i'm terrified that Stevens could be the guy who takes the blame of this if it slides too far. Now, he might be too good of a coach. He might be able to salvage this in a way that saves himself. Uh, but if this slides to like a couple games under 500 and they're at the All Star break and they're just struggling to, you know, move along, I don't think he's going to get fired. Like, I think Ainge trusts him and understands the position he's in and he has ownership support and all that stuff. And it's, it's not like they're, you know, in the, the Eastern Conference Finals right now and down 0-3 and there's just bigger expectations. They just extended them. There's a lot of considerations there why I don't think they would fire them. But like we are starting to see some things that go back to coaching here. Just some. You know, there's a lot of different things going on around here, but Stevens isn't absolved to blame. And so I think what you're looking at right now is an uptick of criticism. And I think, you know, me and you were starting to do that a little more. I think the media is starting to question Stevens a little bit more because he's earned the benefit of the doubt to this point. Uh, but right now, if you're just looking at this season and what's going on right now, I think he's done some things that have uh, prevented them from winning a few more games and getting into a rhythm and developing some of the younger role guys. And he's just deserving of a little bit more criticism, but I don't know. Where do you go? If you're not going to fire the coach, if you're not going to be able to make a move right now, they're just going to be dragging along a little bit right now for the foreseeable future. Could it be Blake Griffin? I don't know. Uh, they're one of the favorites to sign him if he gets bought out. Yeah, I understand why as well, but it, for me, it just doesn't make too much sense. Look, he's not going to increase the defense. He's definitely not going to be a great locker room presence, and his shooting isn't to the point where he actually makes your bench stronger in terms of depth from behind the perimeter. So I hope not. And then you talk about like what players are available right now to make a trade for. What coaches would be available right now that would be an improvement over Stevens? That's the other Especially question. Especially this year. Like it's gonna be an assistant. And how much does that change? I, I don't think all that much. Uh so 
you wouldn't have a new coach until next season because of COVID and just the way the coaching search works and all that other kind of stuff. But to that effect, Stevens has to make something of this. I mean, this team can't be a first round exit in the middle of Brown and Tatum's prime. They, From Danny Ainge's perspective, and I know Danny Ainge isn't going anywhere because of his connection to the Celtics and what he's done back to the 2000s, but he needs to put something in a position now where they don't lose Brown and Tatum in future seasons if this really becomes a bad situation here in Boston. And I know they're signed long-term, but we know if guys are really frustrated, if their agents really flex their arms, they, you can get out of any situation if you just make a big enough of a stink. Uh, James Harden set the standard with the fat suit and the beard and all that kind of stuff. And now I don't think I I don't think we should be talking about that yet because that's years away. But this is the kind of stuff that lays the groundwork for that. Are you really gonna put Brown and Tatum out there to do everything every single night, get banged up, have their minutes pile up, and be the guys who are allowing Kemba to rest on these back to backs, allowing the role players to not you know give as much on the floor? I, I mentioned this in the Slack, but just before we came on, how fair is this to Tatum? I mean, he's banged up. He's been through COVID he's carrying the team every single night. Brown's been out a few nights with the knee soreness and they can't catch him any rest. Uh, They can't get him any role guys who are going to take the burden off him a little bit. And so this is going to pile up on him as time goes on. They're playing seven games and 10 nights. I mean, this just isn't fair to Tatum right now to say you have to do all of this to just get this team by at a 500 rate through the regular season. I mean, something has to change here at some point. I don't have a great idea, Adam. What would you do? Uh, honestly, no idea. All I know is, um, <laughs> honestly, unless it's like you're going to start clearing out some of these young guys to bring in like two or three smaller moves. If you can't find a big name that you want to swing that TPE on, then use the smaller TPEs and try and make some fringe moves. So get off some of these young guys who you consider to be inconsistent. Bring in some guys that you hope will be consistent and reinvigorate the rotation. But as you said, like we're not at the point where Brandon and Tatum are going to request out yet. But these stretches, like this year, if, like if the Celtics are an abject failure at the end of this year, that's going to stick in Brian and Tatum's mind that we had all the ability to make a move to try and win a championship and you didn't pull the trigger. You didn't give us enough to go and win. You gave us enough to run ourselves into the ground on one of the toughest seasons in memory uh, in terms of like travel and play, how short the season is. That's the sort of thing that will build a little bit of resentment long term. Because if you die, if you go out there and die on your sword and you lose that game, um, game six in the Eastern Conference Finals, or you get you get swept in the finals, whatever it may be, the players can live with that more, right? Because they're like, well, we went out there, that's on us as much as it is on the franchise. Whereas if we get swept in the first round because Ainge didn't pull the trigger, well, how can we trust him to put contenders around us for the, when we are in the midst of our prime? And that's my biggest concern. The lessons two years ago when they didn't make a move in 2019 to break up uh, the amount of guys who needed the ball in their hands that year, consolidated a little bit, maybe put some guys who are in better positions to be role players on that team, or not lose guys for nothing, as they ended up doing at the end of that year. And last year, where they were clearly ready between Hayward, uh, Smart, Tatum, Brown, Kemba, to go to the finals, and they didn't make an in-season move to improve. And so ultimately the Hayward injury becomes all the more impactful because they didn't have the bench pieces to step up in his place. Uh, So this year, you're looking at all those picks that they had those years to make those moves being gone. And you're still in a position where you can say, oh, if we're healthy, if Smart's back, if Tatum and Brown are rolling, if Tice is inside, if we're fully loaded and Kemba's up to where he needs to be by the end of the year, we could be a pretty good team. I think last year showed that that's, not a good line of thinking, especially in a COVID year. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the league into the playoffs. That's a bigger discussion. But just within the team context, if you lost a guy to COVID in the middle of a series or if you lost a guy to an injury this postseason, we're seeing that this team can't sustain an injury to a, a starting piece on its team. And that every team's going to be injured in the NBA playoffs. I mean, you have to think when you're building your team, how are we going to get by if we're not fully healthy rather than, oh, we're going to be good to go if we're fully loaded? That's one of the bigger questions as well. Like, if you look at their rotations now, that bench unit, and you say, okay, so we're going with a nine-man rotation, eight-man rotation in the playoffs, right? How many of those guys in your bench rotation do you trust to be able to come in in the middle of a game seven, um, whether that be first, second round, conference finals, finals, 
and be able to perform, right? You're you're relying on so many young guys. Like, can you trust Rob Williams when it's um, a win or go home situation? Can you trust him to not crack on defense? Can you trust Peyton Pritchard to be the Peyton Pritchard we're seeing now when it's a win or go home situation? As much as I love the idea of developing these guys long term, you need to make at least some form of move to be able to say to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum at the next contract discussion, look, we've always made the moves necessary to give you guys everything you need to get to that finals position. And it just hasn't worked out, but stay with us and we'll keep making those moves. At the moment, I think that trade needs to be done just so they can say to Brad as well, like, hey, we've gave you more. So if you can't figure this out now, then this is a coaching problem. We've taken the onus and said, this is a front office problem. We're going to make some moves. Now you do your job. Otherwise, at the end of the season, we're going to have to have a discussion about your longevity on the team. Yeah, and at least we know Ainge knows that. He's been talking all week now about how this team isn't good enough. So what's the move going to be? Is it going to be kind of a Band-Aid move, like a Thad Young or a... I guess even Harrison Barnes would just kind of be like a winged up move there. Are you going to bring in a guy like John Collins who can be another cornerstone piece of this team? Uh, all of a sudden your ownership so, showing some support with his pocketbook and they're building an expensive team that also has some sustainability because he's 23 years old and would be with the team long-term at that point. That's what I want to see this year. A move that can have impact on this year and be with the team into years to come show Tatum and Brown that they're going to have some secured support there and I think a move like that makes sense too because we talked about Miles Turner and uh, Doug McDermott back when the Hayward uh, sign and trade discussion was going on and I think what people liked about that move beyond those guys being good players is that you could flip them in ensuing trades as valuable players salary whatever you want to call it uh, if another opportunity comes up here this TPE is still, it's just a number. And like you see, they're missing a player on the court and it's like the TPE sitting on the bench and just can't come into the game. Like it's just such a missing piece on this team now and into the future. And I know Collins wouldn't be that TPE guy, but the great thing about that is you could trade for Collins, um, use the TPE on maybe shorter term guys because uh, the team would be getting pretty expensive at that point. And you could double dip because this team needs a couple moves. I mean, I don't think one player is going to change what's going on here right now. And so I, not just because of how Grady played in the game last night, I just think the contract, the ability to sign him as a restricted free agent, the age, the position he plays, so many things make Collins make sense. It's just after all the picks have gone out the window in the past few years, uh, they haven't been able to show off any young players this year. What's it going to cost? Would it cost you Marcus Smart? I mean, that's, that's the name I've seen the most thrown around because they've shown interest in Marcus Smart before, and it makes sense to put a defensive-minded two-guard next to Trey Young just yeah. to kind of cover for Trey Young's deficiencies, right? So mm -hmm. I think Marcus Smart will be the one name that cannot be outside of that deal. They will demand Marcus Smart. I think people have to get ready for the fact that if the Celtics are going to make a move that matters this year, they're going to have to give up smart. And I know it's going to be tough to swallow this year. I know there's a sense that you need him for defense, for the character of the team, all that stuff. But when's he a free agent? At the end of next year, right? I don't yeah, think he's unrestricted as well. Yeah, I don't think there's a good chance he's going to be back after that. I mean, he's earned a reputation. He's become a better player. He you know, made a little less on that last deal. So now he needs to make a little more now. And at that point, whether they make a move now or into the future, the Celtics are going to be getting more expensive at that point too. So like, I love Smart. I, I don't want him to deal him at all. But if you want to make a deal with this team that matters, and if you uh, are trying to get Collins who will impact them into the future... Doesn't it make sense right now to say, all right, we don't want to lose Smart for nothing at the end of next year. So let's turn him into something now that's going to be here for five years, that's younger, uh, that's going to impact the team now too. Like I just think Smart for Collins and whatever else it's going to cost. And then you take Smart's money off the books, that cuts off a little bit of the total money that comes on when you re-sign Collins. That move makes all the sense in the world to me. And I know Collins isn't the perfect player, but he's young and has room to grow. And defensively, we know the Hawks stink and have stunk for his whole career on the defensive side of the floor. The Celtics are more of a defensive system with an identity there with a coach who coaches defense a little better. 
I just think he fits for what Stevens wants. He fits for the timeline of this team. And he's a fantastic player. Like he cuts, he brings energy, he shoots, uh, he has verticality. He's an athlete, like all these different things with him. And he has some intensity to him too that I like. He's he's always been one of my favorite players in the league. Yeah, I wrote about um, trading for John Collins last year, last season. So um, I've been following him. I've been a big fan of him. And look, at the end of the day, like you say, it's very unlikely that Marcus Smart stays in Boston beyond next year. Um, and if he does, how happy is everybody going to be with giving him the contract that he's going to kind of command on the open market, right? So this team's going to get expensive quite quickly and you'd much rather, and no disrespect to Marcus Smart, but you'd much rather pay a guy like Collins that is going to continue to improve and provide you everything you've just said, the verticality, the floor spacing, the rebounding, the intensity, or do you pay Smart and just have more of the same of what's been almost good enough, but just not quite there yet. That That's what, you, in my mind, like if you're going to com- commit that long-term money, then you need to know that what you are committing to is, isn't just good enough now, but it's going to be better in year two, three, and four. Yeah, and Vucevic's a guy I've liked as well, but he's 30. He's 28 million. He's signed longer term into his 30s. He's more of a post-up guy, which doesn't ideally fit in Boston. I know the three-point shooting is something they would love with him, but he's, he's not a great defender either. And at that point, 30 years old, that's not going to change all that much. I think it... That that's a move you want to make if you want to keep smart because I don't think it would cost smart to uh, get Vucevic in here. But then you still run into the same problem next year. The team's even more expensive. There's no way with Vucevic on the books that they could keep smart. Uh, so Collins, I like I think we found a deal here. The the Hawks would love to have Marcus Smart. He would fit more with what they're doing than Collins does right now. Yeah, he would push that team to a new level defensively and. It's going to kill team Celtics fans to see Smart go. Like the day he leaves this team is going to be such a sad day. But you'd rather have it be for another great young player than have him going to the Kings at the end of next year and getting nothing for him in the end and then crying with an even worse team. Now, could Rajon Rondo, because obviously Smart makes what, like 16 million? Um, Collins makes like five. So could Rondo come over with that one too? You know, just some salary filler with him. Maybe that would make Celtics fans feel a little better about that because obviously uh, Rondo's a fan favorite here. Uh, he was a great player in the past. I think, you know, there was a lot of talk about the working relationship between Stevens and Rondo when he first got a hold of the team here. I didn't make too much of that because I think um rondo wasn't around that much he was recovering from his knee injury he was on the way out via trade in short order anyway i i just think that wasn't too big of a thing and rondo's a guy i believe in the room he just helped the lakers win a championship so like that's another thing that i think could get people excited about that deal if uh, it was collins and rondo per se for smart yeah i can see that happening as well i think it's gonna have to be like um marcus smart aaron neesmith or romeo langford in a first yeah, um, and I'd be fine with that. I'd be completely fine with that. And I'm in, I'm in the same uh, train of thought as you of Marcus Smart isn't going to be around much longer if we're being very honest with ourselves and we're being realistic. So you make a move from him now while his value is at its highest point, because if you don't, you run that risk of losing yet another one of your key players for nothing in a year. And yeah. you know maybe they do it in the summer, and maybe they wait to see if they can get a sign and trade with John Collins in the summer and use the TPE to bring him in that way. Um, that's always an, op- an option. And maybe they say, hey, we'll give you Marcus Smart, or you get uh, John Collins-sized TPE, or whatever it may be. But don't, you think someone would, don't you think someone would trade for Collins this year, though, first? I mean, that's the other thing about him. There'll be competition for him. I know Houston likes him. I know some other teams have been connected to him. And since he only makes $5 million, he's very easy to trade for now compared to, like you said, a situation with a sign-and-trade where you'd be sending out a lot more in terms of salary players. I think that Collins thing is going to come to a head this year, especially since the Hawks haven't been that good. That's the other thing I heard about yesterday is that the Hawks, I know they have great players, but they haven't been a great team this year. That was another winnable game. Yeah, not at all. They've been very bad. I mean, we're going to see them again tonight. But Well, tonight when everyone's listening, not tonight, tonight. Yeah. We're going to see them again Friday night. I'm, I think that this could be a different type of game. There's going to be more of the Celtic starters back. Hopefully, we're going to see better ball movement. But I do think that, e- that every good game we see at the moment where the ball swings, 
is just papering over the cracks that are below. And until there's a move made or until something changes with the, the structure of this team, we're going to keep reverting back to this type of play that we saw in game one against Atlanta. And that we're going to have these similar conversations for at least the next two, three weeks. It's going to be win, loss, win, loss, as it's been. And that Nuggets win, it was a good win, but the Nuggets were missing Barton. They were missing uh, Gary Harris. They were missing Paul Millsap. They were missing quite a few players in that one. They were just coming back from Denver. So that was a, it was nice to pick up that win, but it really didn't do all that much for me. And so what are we talking about now? The Hawks tonight, the Pelicans on Sunday, uh, some more tough games after I think Indiana, Washington's coming up again. So like right now, the way the Celtics are playing, they could lose to anybody. Like it doesn't matter who's coming up on the schedule. We already saw that with Detroit and Washington. So this is this is going to be a tough month or so ahead just to get through this, and it's going to really be on the Thompsons as we talked about and uh, the Kemba, who has been better. I know we didn't get to talk about Kemba a lot to, in this one because he wasn't playing yesterday, but Kemba looks better to me. He had a fifty percent game on Sunday. And on Tuesday, he came out and started 50%, missed a few in the end, but overall was strong there. He's getting to the rim now. So I'm feeling a little bit better about him. He's a guy who's starting to make adjustments to get off the ball a little bit more and empower Tatum on the ball. So those are the kind of things that these players that are in position to impact this team are going to have to do. And when it comes to Stevens, maybe trusting Pritchard a little bit more. I know he got a start against Detroit. Uh, that was good. It didn't work all that well. So I think that you know, lent something to Stevens. He gave Neesmith a chance over the last week, and that has, has seemed to work well. And Robert Williams, I think the question's going to be asked, and you brought it up at the beginning of the show, is it because he doesn't trust him, or is there a real concern with the hip there that's limiting his minutes and his ability to play deep into these games? That's a, it's a real question right now when it comes to can Rob play 25, 30 minutes? And there's a much bigger, like, there's a huge difference between playing 15, 20 minutes against bench lineups against yep. a second-tier um, big man than playing 30 minutes against a starting quality big man on an opposing team. It's a Wade is a different kettle of fish, and my biggest concern is as well, if you're bringing Robert Williams into that starting lineup, who's your energy guy off the bench? Who is it that you bring in to inject that, that energy, that hustle, and then to really bring those ferocious dunks that fire up your teammates? Where does that come from off the bench? Is it Javante Green? Um, he seemed to, scout pointed this out, he seemed to jump funny for one of his dunks. Is that a concern? Is Are his knees starting to kind of not respond the way he needs them to to get his explosion? So I get why Brad Stevens is keeping Rob Williams on the bench for now. But long term, we need to be able to see, if Rob isn't a starting quality center and never will be, then maybe you start seeing if another team values that rebuilding project and seeing what you can get back in return for that too. Yeah, right now with all the help they need, and he's going to need a new contract within the next two years as well, you have to think about that as well. Is he going to be able to grow? Is he going to fit in? Does Stevens like him as a coach? And uh, it, does he have value around the league right now with what he's shown in the first few years of his career? I think right now, and I don't want to trade Kemba. I, I don't. So like, I'll put him in this, but I don't think that helps the team at all. I think everybody's on the table right now for a trade if uh, it comes to it, other than Brown and Tatum. You obviously need to keep those guys around. So that's where they are. It's too bad. I think some moves that they didn't make over the last couple of years are going to force them to do some stuff now, like trading smart that they don't really want to do. But that's what happens when you make mistakes in professional sports. They kind of compound. You got to do another thing to make up for your make mistake before. And I think that's why Ainge is a little hesitant too. He doesn't want to make another mistake after making those ones. Uh, but it, wouldn't you be shocked this year if there isn't a significant trade of some kind? And I don't, I guess you could call Thad Young significant or Harrison Barnes significant. Like those would require giving up some assets in those spots, which they haven't, they haven't done an in-season trade since Isaiah, right? So like though, anything would be significant here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd be shocked if this if the team is currently constructed is the team that goes into the playoffs. I'll be surprised, and I'll also be a little bit uh, concerned. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I don't see this team, and like, let's even imagine it fully healthy. They're doing double big. They're trying to get everybody some minutes there. They still don't have like rotation guys in that fifth spot that they trust. Like the biggest issue with this team right now is that Hayward left, and nothing came back in for him besides Thompson, but that doesn't really count. Uh, so 
that's what they need to fill right now, that Hayward spot, whether it's a player like him or something different to reshape them into the future. It's going to be fun. The next month or so is going to be interesting because every day there's going to be a new guy linked to the Celtics. That John Collins one is one that I've discussed quite regularly, and um, it's one that I've been keeping my eye on. And if it costs Marcus Smart as much as it, um, it sucks, so be it, right? I mean, it's the move you've got to make. Real Any quick before we go. What what did you think of Drummond being connected to the Celtics? Wasn't that weird? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Drummond. I find that weird. I thought that with the, the big rotation they've got now, we'd be past this, the Celtics need a big man narrative. I thought that was gone. In, it was in the rear view. Drummond, to me, is like the epitome of empty numbers, right? So yeah. he could have 30 and, 30 and 20 and you'll still lose a game. Like um, he, he can put up numbers, but I'm not sure how much they kind of correlate in the win column. Yeah, and I was looking at his numbers, and he's a 98 offensive rating, which is really bad in today's league. And I'm looking at Thompson, who would probably be who goes in something like that. I mean, he's 115. So I know Thompson's not like Vucevic offensively, but he's still way better than Drummond is. He fits better. I think he's playing better. And Drummond, like, it'd be the same issue. You're right, pack front court, uh, a guy who's not a perfect matchup in every single opportunity, doesn't hit free throws. Isn't that great defensively? I've never been a big fan of him either. And he's really expensive. So you're using the whole TPE to get him and then have him expire at the end of the year. I don't know where that came from. I think Sam Amik reported it first, and it, it was reported as strong interest, which I don't know. You never know who those kind of things come from, whether it's an agent or something else. Maybe Drummond wants to come here, uh, but I don't see it at all. No, I'd, I'd be like, ridiculous. I'd be furious. <laughs> uh, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be i'd be heated for weeks um yeah <laughs> yeah no, I, I don't think he'd i don't think he'd work in boston to be quite honest yeah 100 <laughs> percent. right bobby thanks for jumping on with me buddy man i appreciate it i kept hey, always, i said i would always good talking to you adam you too man guys if you've been listening make sure to leave that five star written review uh if you've liked it make sure to tell your friends and family and if you didn't like it please don't leave a nasty review because if you haven't got nothing nice to say don't say it at all